Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Hi, I'm Stephanie, and I am an alcoholic. Hi, Stephanie. Uh, welcome to all the newcomers. And, yeah, I don't know why I'm so nervous. I actually know most of you fuckers. Um, so, I'm really nervous. Damn. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, that's so cute. That's so vulnerable for me. So, uh, let's see. I come from a pretty much alcoholic Catholic Irish family. Uh, they were all drinkers, and they told me from the beginning that I was... Like most Catholic families, an unplanned pregnancy from very early on. And that there was no money for me, for college, for school, for car, for this, for that, for anything. But then, on the other side, they always told me that I was the child that would save the family. And uh, it didn't happen. They still got a divorce, and uh, they still drank, and there was a lot of, like, abuse between each the parents or whatever. And, um, yeah, so I basically believe... I've come to believe that I've been probably an alcoholic or had alcoholic thinking since the day I could think consciously. Um, so, yeah, basically my drinking was pretty normal for an alcoholic teenager. I cut school, I drank, I smoked, I smoked weed, I got expelled. I cut school from my next school, smoked, drank, got expelled. And um, when I was 17, I came home and I found my mom dead from drinking. And, uh, after that, I was basically on my own. I couldn't live with my dad. He was already in another marriage. And even though my dad and I were always very close, his wife at the time was, well, she was a weirdo. And so I was alone and I was homeless and drugs are a part of my story. But like my, another member once articulated, I'm a real alcoholic, which means for me that I could do drugs and give them up with no problem, but I could never give up drinking. So, like, I did a bunch of heroin and just one day was like, meh, I don't really like this stuff anymore. And I never touched it again. I never went through withdrawals. I never had that, like, whole NA issue. But I couldn't give up drinking. So... I didn't have any of the consequences that a lot of people did. I didn't drive until sobriety because I knew I'd probably get a DUI and die. So I never bothered to get my license. Um, but I did have huge relationship issues. And I couldn't really relate to anyone. And I was uh, I was going through some old mail today and I found this letter that I mailed myself, I guess, in a blackout, about uh, operating on a functional level only, ingesting way too much booze instead of food and water, and losing control just like my family, and that this letter is to make me aware of it and to stop it. And uh, that was in 2009, and I didn't get sober till 2013. So what happened? Um... The train just ran out. I was stealing cars in East Oakland. I was hanging out and, like, waking up in, like, coke houses on 98th Ave. But I didn't really ever do coke. I just drank and hung out with them. And, um, you know, I was, like, 
going, I never lost a job and I was going to DC for work a lot and like, I got fucking hammered in DC and met with some senators the next day. Totally hungover, makeup like melting off my face, vomiting in between, and um, yeah, it was tight. And then I came back and uh, continued to drink for like a week, and then pretty much woke up in a pool of blood on a suicide attempt, and uh, was in a violent relationship where I couldn't get my ex-boyfriend out of the house, and uh, my roommate at the time, who is now my roommate again, because the ex-boyfriend's finally gone. He was like, just come to these meetings with me. Just come. You've got nowhere else to go. So I started going to the Rockridge Fellowship. What's up, Brandon? And, um, yeah, I just spent a lot of time there. And I was very angry. I was very rough. I was in a self-made prison of isolation. I didn't want to get to know anyone. I didn't think I knew anyone anyway. So what the fuck was the point? And now... Like, I know all of you, and it's crazy. And I know you genuinely. Like, I can tell you that I woke up in an East Oakland crack house, and it's not a big deal. Well, maybe. Who knows? But I, I know you're silently judging. It's cool. But um, I guess what really happened is I did exactly what people finally, I finally did exactly what people told me to do. I got a sponsor who was a real fucking jerk face, and I love him to death. And uh, he pushed me through the steps, and he was a real ball buster, and it was exactly what I needed. And I immediately started working with others. Didn't necessarily work out that great. I crashed my first sponsee's car. She fired me, but it's okay. She hired me back and now has finished the work. And um, <laughs> it's been a real um, experience, you know. I've never been told that I've been good at anything in my life. And I was, like, super grateful to be come here and be like, oh, well, shit, I'm good at this. <laughs> That's cool. And then today, you know, I started doing a bunch of shit that I never thought I would do. Like, I started doing dance classes and all this stuff. And my dance teacher today, uh, my new dance teacher today, came up to me after class, and she was just like, you know, you're really good at this. And I was like, oh, thanks. And I ran into my car and I started crying. Because <laughs> nobody has ever told me that I've been good at anything. You know, my parents didn't. Nobody did. Uh, so I guess if you're new, like, you can be a hot mess. You can be angry. You can throw chairs. You can do whatever you want. You know, try not to kill anybody. But, like, just get a sponsor. Work the steps from the big book. You know, the... Everything else is great reading. Light reading at bedtime. You know, on the toilet. Um, seriously, my living sober in the bathroom. Totally. Word, right? Right on. The grateful alcoholic. Great. Um, but yeah, get a sponsor, work the steps out of the big book, and immediately start helping others because the, the real crux for this program for me is being of service. Um, I go back and forth. I don't know if I'm a good sponsor or not. I don't really care. Um, and there was a point in the beginning of sobriety where I could not be bothered with any sort of service commitment. Making coffee was not going to keep me sober. Talking at meetings was not going to keep me sober. Now I cannot, like, live without being a service. Because uh, I'm crazy still. But it's nice to be sober and crazy versus drunk and crazy. I think that's all I got.
<laughs> My name is Matt, and I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, well, they say in this program, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. And uh, I think uh, Stephanie is a good example of the quickly. And uh, I might be an example of more of the slow variety. It's taking me a long time to get where I am right now. And it, the results are still, I think, a little questionable. Uh, I was, uh, I got sober on January 13th, 1994, uh, which means I have 21 years in a couple of days. And uh, I got sober when I was a young person. I was 28 years old. And I also, uh, uh, the first meeting I went to uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, I haven't had a drink since then. And uh, I only mention that not because I want to, you know, shame anybody who's relapsed, but just to kind of uh, offer a data point that uh, if you're in a, a room of Alcoholics Anonymous and you've made it here, uh, relapse is not inevitable. Relapse is not mandatory. You can stay here uh, for, long, for as long as you want. We'll, we'll still keep brewing the coffee and having you come in. Um, I... Uh, I think the reason I, I, I say that it's sometimes slow is because I, I, I'm not the best, I'm not the most sober person all the time, and I think the best example of that was today. Um, I, uh, I, was, I went to San Francisco, I'm in this acting class for fun, and uh, I met with my scene partner, and he wasn't doing exactly the things that I thought he ought to be doing. Uh, very specifically, um, we were going over our lines, and he had to say, uh, yes, I wasn't. Uh, but, and, and then the second time he says, yes, I, but I, I forget, I can't even remember now, but it was, weren't I? There were, there were two tenses that were involved, and he kept saying, uh, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. He said it twice, the same exact way. You're supposed to say it one way and then the other way. There's the wrong, the wrong way and and you know the the way I uh, so um, I pointed it out to him, of course, which is what uh, I like to do. And uh, he said, uh, "No, I said it the right way. I, I said uh, you know wasn't one way. No, no, actually he he said no. It's it's wasn't twice. And so I just sat there and I didn't have the script in front of me, so I was just okay. He's he's now." you know, he's in some other world. And so I was, <laughs> I was trying to maintain my, you know, my cool and everything. And this guy, I found out a little while ago, has 36 years of sobriety. Um, it was so weird. We were, we, were, we, were, we were rehearsing together like a week ago, and he said some of our bullshit sayings, you know, and he goes, like we say in AA. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, another one of these guys. And so I said, well, I'm sober too. And then, you know, we kind of compared times and quick stories and stuff like that. And so it always happens. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a jackass to people in the program or it's <laughs> in the program more than the general public. And it's also worse. What's also worse is when you make amends to someone in the program, they, they usually say, yeah, you suck. You know, they, they, and, and regular people, regular people are kind of cool. They're just like, Oh, that's great. You know, thank you. You know, sounds like you're having a bad day, but we're like assholes. We're like, yeah, and I'll tell you a little bit more about what you did wrong. <laughs> so uh, I, I haven't had him call back yet because, uh, well, long story short, we sat in this rehearsal for a while, and he did something else that wasn't completely uh, right. And uh, so uh, I started to get really shitty, and I was a real asshole. 
And uh, at one point, I just sat down and started saying my lines with my arms crossed, right? Like a little, like a five-year-old child. And he said, Matthew, is there something wrong? And I'm like, yeah, there's something wrong. And I kind of, uh, you know, let him know the, the, the verb tense problem and some other things. And uh, he, uh, he wasn't digging too much my uh, state of being. So he said, well, maybe we should uh, stop rehearsing and, you know, get together on Monday, and I said, yeah, that's a good idea, and start indignantly stuffing shit into my, my backpack. Um, and so anyway, I, I called him, I, I, I sat there, and he left the room, and I, I thought for a second, I said, oh, fuck, god damn it, and, uh, which is what we do when we fuck up, right? Because then you have to make an amends, and so I was like, oh. So uh, I called him, and I got his voicemail, and... Um, I, I, you know, I, I did the deal. I did, I did the deal. But he didn't call back. He's letting me suffer, and you know. <laughs> and I'm going to see him on Monday. He probably, probably, he probably won't even talk to me till Monday because I was a shit, you know. And uh, but you know what? Uh, I did the best that I could today. Well, I, I didn't do so great today. And then I did the best that I could to clean it up. And uh, you know, I have to leave the results up to God. God. Um, I, I, I'm a contrarian a little bit by nature. And you know what I, I love so much, especially in these Bay, is because, you know, we're, we're not allowed to say the Lord's Prayer and stuff. And, and I don't even give a shit about the Lord's Prayer, to be honest, right? But since we don't say it, or it's, like, really bad to say it, like, when it's my turn to, like, choose it, I'm like, I'm going to do the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I you know, this, this lady from uh, Washington, D.C., she was, uh, you know, she was a visitor from AI, in AA, and she, she once said she liked the Lord's Prayer because it's long, um, and that when you're standing together, and you, there's this kind of, like, uh, you know, rhythm that you get going, and she liked it, and she explained this to me, and I said, yeah, that sounds like a good thing. So, anyway, you know, yeah, well, we won't do the Lord's Prayer tonight, but uh, what, one of the things I do, do is talk about God, because sometimes here in the East Bay, we don't like to talk about God for a variety of reasons, but, uh, or God of understanding, higher power, all that shit, but uh, Norman will, 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 will make sure I, I tell the story where I have incontrovertible proof that God exists. <laughs> and uh, it kind of, it, it, it starts with a, I'll tell it later because that's, that's like the, the punchline ball is, well, I got to tell you my drunk log and uh, well, it, 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 it involves some bigotry and um, some uh, road rage and so, some other things. Anyway, so, uh, I was born in uh, Long Island in 1965. Uh, my parents were uh, pretty normal. My dad was a, a scientist. He was a physicist. He's really smart. Uh, he worked a lot. He was always always at the lab. And my mom was a homemaker. And you know, this is you know sixties, early seventies. And uh, you know, I had a pretty normal life. You know, little league. Uh, it was suburbia. Everything was uh, uh, okay. Uh, I, I I had problems in school, and it wasn't you know I was smart enough. I could you know I got good grades and everything, but I had problems with people, and I had problems with people who were the boss of me, more so. <laughs> and that was like, uh, you know, the teacher, principal, or anybody who had status, you know? I just, you know, uh, and, you know, it's funny. I think even to this day, uh, I still uh, have have that. And uh, 
I was reading, um, I'm, I'm going to be moving pretty soon, and I was reading through some of my, this old journal I kept in the early 90s, just before I came in the program. And, I, you know, at first, you know, it's been so long since I've had a drink, I didn't think it was so bad, because I don't have, a, you know, no crack houses or anything like that. I just, you know, a, a kind of a, a boring drinking uh, existence. But when I was reading this journal, it was, it was really kind of pathetic and deep and a lot of it. And uh, I, was, I was surprised, because uh, it's been, been so long. Um, but uh, I had my first drink when I was uh, 13 at Danny Maskett's Bar Mitzvah uh, in Long Island. Uh, they, they have this, um, I, I guess, I don't know if it's still the thing, but uh, I, I'm not Jewish, but uh, it, when, you turn, when you turn 13, you're supposed to become a man, and so uh, anybody, you can drink, you can do anything I guess a man can do, I suppose. I, I guess that was the thing back in the 60s or 70s, but uh, uh, I don't know if that's the case anymore. But So I, I was sitting around the table with all my friends, and one of the guys at the table said, hey, if you go over there, they will give you a drink uh, of alcohol. And so, you know, I was like, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. So I went over, and there was this tall guy, uh, adult, and he ordered uh, a rum and coke. And so I, I said, uh, I squeaky 13-year-old, I said, I'll take a rum and coke, uh, which is kind of sweet, right? Um, so I drank it, and I didn't feel much of an effect, but uh, I, I got up and I had three more. So I had four rum and cokes. I was a, I was a little guy, too. Um, I didn't pass out. I didn't throw up. I don't think I did anything you know, totally weird. But uh, I remember uh, kind of just browning out a little bit and standing in the uh, rec room of this uh, Jewish community center and everything was just kind of, you know when you stand up really fast and you get a, uh, a head rush? Then nowadays, uh, that's what I call my free lapses, you know? And, uh, <laughs> so I, I just felt like the whole, everything was kind of purple and f felt really good. I mean, I need to tell you guys this. this is, it was, it was a, a wonderful experience. And I remember I, I came to lying on, the, on my back in my front lawn uh, staring at the blue sky and saying, wow, that was great. Uh, I, I want to do that again as much as possible and as often as possible. And uh, I think what distinguishes me from uh, a normal drinker as opposed to an alcoholic is that my next drink I planned out. And I knew instantly that I couldn't have just one drink. I needed to have a certain amount. So uh, I stole a beer from my mom's fridge and put it upstairs in my closet, and then waited a day or so. Nobody said anything. And then I stole another beer, and I, I kept doing that every couple of days until I had a little stash of warm beer. And then I drank it all at once and got the effect that I wanted. That's my, that's my second, second drunk. Um, I, I, when, I, when I first came into AA, I, I remember, uh, so I always wanted to be like one of the, the speakers who was like really cool. And one of the, this one cool speaker once said, yeah, I don't share the message, uh, or the mess, message, I, you know, I share the, the message, you know, and uh, the implication is that you don't spend too much time on a drunk log. Even Dan's got a little, he's got a little sheet getting ready to tell me. Uh, so for a while there, you know, whenever I tell my story, I, I'd be like, okay, I want to be like one of the cool AA guys, and I'm going to, and I'd say, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to share the mess. I'm going to tell you the message. And so I'd go like, I'd gloss over the drinking and go right into the, you know, how, what happened and what it's like now. And, uh, uh, so, uh, and, but then I, I, I kind of got a, a different idea thinking that if somebody's new, 
uh, one of the things that's most important is identification. Uh, if, if somebody starts talking about uh, how, how their behavior is, you know, the, the craving that we get for alcohol and the, uh, the obsession of the mind that we get. And when we explain that uh, in, in ways that, uh, you know, only we can say and understand, that person can, can sit there and be like, oh, yeah, that's just like me. And then when you get to the, you know, what happened and what it's like now, it kind of, you know, it, it's, it's an easier sell, uh, so to speak. Um, <laughs> So, but I don't, I don't, I don't feel like telling a drunk lot. So I, I drank a lot. Um, uh, I started smoking pot. I really like pot. Um, and then uh, the family moved to Arizona in 1980, and I got into high school. And I started hanging around with uh, James and this small group of guys who were the acid heads. And I really was attracted to them because I heard they took LSD. And I said, you know, I, you know, these guys, you know, they weren't just run-of-the-mill kind of, you know, drunks or, or drug takers. They were, they took acid and listened to Pink Floyd, and I thought that was cool. So uh, I hung around with these guys for a while and started to trip and go out in the desert, you know. And, uh, I saw God, like, once, and then, well, actually not, there's the God later on, but uh, uh, this is just, uh, I think the difference between someone who uses uh, hallucinogens as a spiritual experience and someone who's just a, someone who likes to get wasted is, uh, you, you, you have a spiritual experience, and you're like, oh, that was great, now I'm going to move on and do X, Y, and Z, but uh, me, I'm like, well, let's trip again, let's trip, let's trip tomorrow, you know, and then, uh, so I just, uh, I kept doing that, and, um, and it, uh, it uh, it kind of I kind of got a little unmotivated as far as high school is concerned. <laughs> I, I found out that if 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 you, if you graduated in the fifty percentile or above in your high school, you could get into the University of Arizona. And this is really fucking embarrassing because my dad was a professor of physics at the University of Arizona, and I'm I'm just squeaking my way in. And uh, so they they said you don't even have to take the ACT or the SAT. So I didn't take either. I just I, I was got I, I was in like the 60th percentile of my class. Uh, went to the University of Arizona, and um, my my drinking career really took off. I I played lacrosse uh, because my my big brother played lacrosse, and uh, I, I was I was trying to find some kind of identity. You know what what you know what was my thing, and. Uh, Nothing, nothing seemed to fit, and I was still having problems with human beings. I would always kind of like, hey, you know, this guy's an asshole, or this professor's a jerk, or and 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 I would, I would say, I would say, I've got like the, am I running? I've got like the worst luck in the problem, uh, worst luck in the world. I remember right before I came into the program, I was walking down the streets in New York City, going, fuck, I've got the worst luck in the world. You know, shit just happens to me all the time. Uh, I get in trouble at work. People are always mad at me. Girls break up with me. I have just got the worst luck in the world. And uh, since I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, my luck has changed. <laughs> sort of. Um, I kind of think I've been, I've been around A for a long time, 21 years, and uh, I, I kind of get this idea that I, it's, I mean, it's kind of like the Forrest Gump thing. Where I I kind of done a lot of stuff and uh, I've uh, I started out as a dry drunk. I got into the program a lot. Uh, I lost my mom. My mom died in the program while I was in the program. Uh, I got married in the program. I got divorced. I, I've done fucking everything. I had great jobs and I've had shitty jobs. I have a shitty job. Um, <laughs> 
but I still keep coming back, you know? Uh, so, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, high school, college, uh, now I'm in New York City, and it's uh, 1989, and I'm moving there to become a famous Broadway actor. And I enrolled into acting school and got, uh, got an apartment. Uh, I, I used to, I used to not stay too long in any one apartment because people would always ask me to, you know, please don't stay here anymore. It was, it was either roommates or even like the landlord, I wouldn't pay, pay uh, it was just really bad. And, uh, uh, my life was just, it was, and then I was reading this journal the other day. I was trying to figure out, it's like, oh, it wasn't that bad. But uh, what, I, what basically the last, and this, this is like the pathetic kind of thing. There's no helicopters or machine guns. I, I was, um, this was my, my last year plus in New York City. Uh, and this is the same thing every day. I, I would wake up uh, hungover. Uh, I would go uh, across down to my temp job. I only worked temp jobs because, you know, it worked out better that way. And uh, I would buy a bagel on the way uh, in one of the carts for 50 cents, and I'd get to my desk, I'd sit down, I'd those the little computers at the green screen and everything, and I'd start typing, you know, uh, for, I think, you know, whoever I was working for. And the bagel would just sit there because I couldn't fucking eat the bagel. And uh, at about 11 o'clock, I would yeah, try to eat some bits of it, but I still could not eat the bagel. So, uh, and this is about, maybe just before lunch, about 11.30, I'd get up, I'd go to the bathroom, and I would have the worst diarrhea in the world. <laughs> <laughs> just, just liquid. <laughs> and um, I would leave the restroom, I would sit down, and I would kind of feel okay. <laughs> and I start, I would eat a little bit of the bagel, <laughs> And I start to feel a little bit better. And then lunchtime would come, and I would go out to lunch. And um, I never drank in the morning. That you know, I, I was a vampire. I didn't drink in the morning. I I, I should have, but I didn't. Uh, <laughs> so about four or five o'clock, and I'm you know, like in the book, they say you know we take solemn vows or you know this or that. I I knew I was an alcoholic, and I wanted to drink, and I knew I was going to keep drinking like this forever. I didn't. I, I never swore off or did any of that shit. Um, so, uh, so about four or five o'clock, I started to feel a little better with the food in my stomach. I would walk home, uh, go to the A&P on Fifty Fifth Street, and I would get the cheapest beer that they had on sale. And it was usually uh, not in the refrigerated section. It was uh, it was warm. And so I would go to my apartment, and I would open the uh, the door to the refrigerator, and there would be frost in my freezer. And I would take two or three cans of the warm beer, and I would uh, roll them on the frost to get them to cool them up. It really wor it works. And while drinking a warm beer. And, and then I would, and, oh, I'd, I'd always stop off at a place and get like some either Chinese food or some Italian food. Um, and I would slam the door, start drinking my beer, start eating my takeout food, and watch the TV. And smoke, then I'd smoke a couple of bong hits. And I would always fuck up because I thought that I had enough. I had a 12-pack of beer. You know, and I'm so stupid because I would do this every single night. I'd come home with a 12-pack, like, this is going to be enough for tonight. And I'd you know, do my thing. And, uh, and about 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night, it's all gone. 
And now pot started to make me high, but also super paranoid. So, and I'm like, fuck, I got to go out and I got to get some more alcohol because I haven't reached my place. And so I would go out to the local bodega and get a couple 40 ounces of malt liquor. And I would drink that. And I used to call it my, my knockout punch. I used to get St. Ives or Colt 45 or Old English. Those are my three favorite. They make, they make your teeth numb, your front teeth numb. Uh, and so then I would fall asleep, pass out, and I would wake up the next morning the exact same thing. Do the whole story with the bagel, the diarrhea, the <laughs> straight. Um, and uh, so I kind of got an idea that, you know, this probably, and it wasn't, you know, because uh, I, I moved to New York in the late, late 80s, and it was like, you know, bright lights, big city time. There was really cool shit going on there. You know, CBGBs was still open. Uh, uh, the, I went to the Palladium, and uh, I, I was doing all this cool shit when I got there. And then about two or three years down the road, I'm doing the AMP, you know, uh, bagel thing, uh, circular. And I'm sorry, and I, I kind of got this idea that my life was fucked up and uh, something had to change. So on one of my trips back to uh, Arizona, I, uh, I ran into an old girlfriend uh, named Elizabeth, and she was holding a little uh, torch for me, and I knew that. And so I, I, I figured out in my mind, well, maybe if I got married to Elizabeth, that would change my life. So uh, I said to her one night, uh, this is in uh, 1993, uh, I think we just had sex, and uh, we were sitting in the car, and I was driving home. I said, <laughs> I said uh, well, maybe we should get married. <laughs> I'm a really good uh, no, class act. And uh, she, she said yes. And uh, she wanted to fix her up, or I don't know. So uh, a couple of months uh, uh, passed. Uh, this was in Thanksgiving of uh, 1993. And uh, she, uh, you know, would send me care packages from Arizona. And and we, we agreed to have her come meet uh, and spend some time in my apartment in January uh, of 1994. And uh, we're going to kind of like hang out together and I'd show her the sites. And, uh, you know, so she was sending me, you know, this is back, we had no email back then. She was sending me cards and uh, cookies in the mail and we'd talk on the phone. And I was sitting there on the phone going, fuck, she's going to come with beer cans all over the floor. You know, U-Haul. Uh, 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 blanket on the window. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not going to work out. And so, uh, on uh, January 12th, I was sitting uh, on the couch uh, with a, a 12 pack of um, Mil Miller Genuine Draft. Yeah. And uh, there's, little, there's little black labels. And I was uh, drinking it one after the other, talking to Elizabeth. She was coming the very next day on an airplane. Her, her bags were packed. And uh, about year 10 or 11, uh, I said to her, I said, Elizabeth, you should not come tomorrow. And I was absolutely de definite in that. Uh, and uh, she started to cry. And uh, she started to cry in a way that I had never heard anybody cry in my entire life. I, I felt up until that point that I was, you know, oh, I'm just hurting myself. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not really... In, I'm not really hurting anybody else. And I did hurt other people. I just didn't know about it. But this was the first time that I kind of felt 
you know, just the real dagger. And I was, I was holding on to that dagger and just jamming it into her heart. And, uh, uh, I, that I could not live with. And, um, I, uh, the next morning I woke up and I called New York City Intergroup. And I, I called New York City Intergroup a couple of times before then. Uh, I, I know this because in my, my, my diary, I would, I would write, uh, you know, a you know, drunken scribbling diary thing. And halfway down, I'd have like a, a AA meeting, but I never went to them. But I, I would call them every now and then and, and get an address. And so uh, uh, the next day, uh, January 13th, 1994, I went to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, it was after work. Uh, I, I, it, was, uh, it was at Al-Anon House, which has since moved on 46th Street. And it's kind of like, you know, your grandma's story about going to school. I was, I had to walk through the slush. Uh, it was cold, uh, up two flights of stairs and into this really shitty room. It was, uh, there, there, there was yellow and every other chair had a, had an ashtray. And, uh, there's a, a weathered picture of Bill on the wall. And, uh, everybody was there. Um, uh, you know, there's there were uh, there were like this guy with a dock worker's cap on. And he was chewing on a cigar, real real New York type, right? And uh, then some Wall Street guys, some young people, uh, just everybody seemed to be there. You know, all different types of people. I I had nothing in common with anybody, uh, but I, I remember and I, I sat down and uh, I don't remember a thing that happened or what was said during that meeting, at least from the podium. But I felt a warmth in my heart, uh, almost like the way you feel when you're falling in love. And uh, I, I felt as if I had, uh, you know that game when you're playing tag, if, if you, when you touch base, I felt like I had finally touched base and I was where I was supposed to be and that everything was going to be okay. Uh, and that was my first experience with God. But I didn't know it at the time. This is going to be a God story. I, I got to know. I, this is a long story. <laughs> it's unbelievable to me. Um, well, so anyway, I'll tell you what happened uh, in sobri- uh, things. So uh, I got sober, and this is this is how uh, this is how it slowly because I decided I didn't want to do this. This was a little too non-scientific. So I uh, didn't get a sponsor. I decided to go to a, a head shrinker up in Riverdale, uh, who went on a sliding scale, and uh, I would tell him all my problems and go to AA meetings when things got really tough. So uh, after about a year of that, uh, I stopped going to meetings, and I, I gave up on my uh, uh, head shrinker because he fell asleep on me in the middle of my story once. <laughs> So I had enough with both these guys, and then I went into a, a very long, protracted period of dry drunkenness. And I didn't come out of that until the year 2001. Uh, I moved here. Uh, I fell in love with my uh, soon-to-be wife and now ex-wife, and uh, uh, something came to a head here in the Bay Area. Uh, you can't be in love and be a dry drunk. Well, you can, but it... Someone's going to get really fucked up. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, I, uh, in a, uh, a very emotional bottom, I went to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous in San Francisco at Old St. Mary's. And I hadn't been to a meeting in eight months. And uh, when they asked if anybody was from out of town, blah, blah, I, I raised my hand and I said, I've been around for a while, but I'm, I need help. You know, that kind of... <laughs> and it was, it was just like being new again. Like, everybody started coming to me, you know, like the zombie, like, new guy, new guy. 
I got numbers, and um, it was really weird because I and uh, my fiance at the time. I, I remember coming back, and I I didn't realize what AA was about because I, I I really hadn't done any of it. And I said, I said, oh my god, this AA in San Francisco—they really stress the spiritual aspect. And I'm like, now I understand that it's uh, all the fucking aspect is this. I, I guess so. Um, but at that time, it was a it was a it was a novelty novelty to me. Um, so I got a sponsor. I started working the steps. Um, uh, one of my really good friends uh, in AA, Thomas, he tricked me into going to the Salvation Army. Uh, uh, and uh, what I didn't realize was I wasn't working with guys, uh, and I was just taking. I'd go to meetings. I you know I'd sit there and be like, oh, that meeting kind of sucked. I didn't get what I needed. I didn't I didn't feel better afterwards, you know, and. Uh, uh, somebody kind of were they were kind of hinting to me like, hey Matt, you're supposed to give the stuff back, and uh, I it, it, this is the slowly part. I, I didn't really, I mean, I think it was said to me, but I never really quite uh, incorporated into my practice until Thomas tricked me into going to Salvation Army, and I suggest any gentleman go to this, this place. It's Wednesday nights at eight p.m. It's amazing. You you go there. Uh, they have to get sponsees, sponsors, and so uh, you raise your hand at the end of the meeting if anybody you know can take any sponsees and. You get three or four guys like that, and you're working with guys whether you're qualified to or not. <laughs> I was seriously not qualified to work with guys. And I remember Willie, uh, who started that, that meeting, I asked him, I said, Willie, um, I don't think I'm qualified to work with these guys. I think I'm going to fuck them up. I'm going to kill them. And he goes, Matt, it's okay. Don't worry. They're already halfway dead. <laughs> You cannot hurt them, and so I was, I was involved, and uh, but in doing so, uh, like Stephanie said earlier, uh, I just uh, worked with them to the best of my ability, and uh, told them my story, and tried to help them out in the best way I could, and and tried to follow as much as I could uh, what's going on in the book. Um, I better wrap this up. All right, we got to go to God. All right, ready for God? Ready for fast pitch? Okay, so um, it's not a pitch. It, this is about uh, six years ago. Um, I'd just gone to Sears Point. I, I, was, I did amateur motorcycle racing for a while. And I crashed my bike, and I hit my head. And I was really pissed off. Well, you know, a helmet on and everything. But uh, I was driving down Highway 13, really fucking pissed. And uh, a silver Mercedes uh, SUV cut in front of me. Or I don't know. They did something not right. And uh, so I decided to, uh, you know, you know, I've been in the program for a while. I know how to act properly, but I also don't act properly sometimes. And so I got on the gas, and I was just following her really close. And then pulled up alongside and gave him a little, you know, I may even give him the finger. I don't know. So uh, uh, coincidentally, we got off at the same exit. You know how that is, and that sucks. Uh, and we came through the stop sign together, and the passenger, her husband, gets out, and he's all, you know, spit flying out of his mouth, and I'm boomed out the door, spit flying out of my mouth, and he's just, you know, I'm not a tough guy, and he's not a tough guy, but we're standing there in the middle of the intersection, you know, bumping chests and spitting on each other. And I'm saying the most awful things that I could think of. I have this, like, heat-seeking missile of, I know what's going to bother you, and I'm just going to fucking say it. And right in the forehead and get you. Um, and so I was I was throwing out all my good shit, and I was even throwing some stuff at her, calling her a, an ugly cunt and stuff like this. I mean, I was just... Whoa. And so... 
right to right to his face, and he was he was uh, he was uh, had an accent, and he had, and I, he was probably from the Middle East. So I, you know what I said? I said, "Why don't you go back? You came from." And this made him go. This was the thing. I got it. He went fucking ancient. And he goes, this is where I'm from. I'm an American citizen. He went insane. And uh, traffic started moving. We both went back into our cars. And so I, I went to a meeting that night. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck. Kind of like today at acting class. I was like, ah, oh, fuck. God damn it. I suck. And I called my, my good friend Kenny P. And I said, Kenny P., I, I just did this horrible thing. I probably did the worst thing. I mean, I, I had never been so vicious verbally to another human being in my entire life. And uh, what's funny is, uh, at that meeting or one after, a guy in AA, I, I shared that night at the meeting. I said, oh, I did this horrible thing today. And he came up afterwards. He goes, oh, yeah, I was riding my bicycle by there. <laughs> you were crazy. <laughs> So, uh, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to properly make amends to this fellow. And he's a random stranger. You know, I'm never going to see this guy again. Fuck. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just humming and hawing and talking like, oh, do I pray, meditate, and, uh, you know, living amends, all this kind of like bullshit that's not really juicy. Because you want to do a juicy amends or something like this. But I wasn't going to get it. So, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I prayed a lot and I did some stuff that Kenny had suggested. And uh, so about a week after this, you know, chest bumping spit thing, um, I'm on, uh, getting on the uh, Montgomery station in BART. Getting ready to get on a train. It's really busy. It's rush hour. And uh, my ex-wife and I had this agreement where uh, I would uh, go on first and then I would save her a seat, you know, fight through the traffic, and uh, that would be great. And so I did do that. And this is, this is where Norman points out that I was actually, uh, I doubled down in my racism and bigotry. Um, <laughs> at the time, I did not know it. Or for the longest time, I didn't know that. So I sat down in my chair as per plan, and this older black lady started walking towards the empty seat. And so I went like this. <laughs> you cannot have this seat. And she got about two steps from the seat and she just looked at me like, you can't save seats on BART. <laughs> to which, and now this is, I'm praying for a week to not be an asshole again, right? I'm like praying like the knees out of my pants. And so this is my first opportunity to not be an asshole. And so instead I say, I look at her and I say, hey lady, there are plenty of seats back there. And I didn't realize. And emphasis on the back because she's of a certain era in this country where sitting in the back is... I'm an idiot, okay? So I didn't realize this. I just wanted her to not sit in my fucking seat. So my uh, uh, my uh, ex-wife sits down, who was my wife at the time, and uh, we start going in the tunnel, and now I'm beside myself. I'm like, God damn it. Sorry, sorry, God. I've been praying all week long not to be an asshole. Uh, then my first opportunity comes up to not be an asshole, I blow it. I, I just was a jerk to that lady. And uh, so I said to, to my uh, wife, I said, you know, I, I got to go make amends to her. 
And she goes, oh, you don't have to make a mess, right? You know, she, she got a good suit. It's fine. And I said, no, no, no. It's the rules. I got to go. <laughs> so I stood up. I went over to her, and uh, I made a kind of a shitty amends. But I just kind of said, like, hey, you know, uh, well, it was wrong of me to save a seat in Bart. You were right. Uh, I, if I've offended you, I apologize. And uh, I hope you have a great weekend. You know, I, I, I did my best. It was one of those amends. Um, and she looked at me like, a, you know, people not in the program, they're just like, what the hell? And, you know, but in a pleasant, kind of a what the hell pleasant kind of way. And uh, So I went back and sat down. And the important part of the story is, is that while we were on the uh, platform getting ready to get on, Bart, uh, we had decided to go eat at Barnum's. Uh, I was dying to have a uh, teriyaki burger and a large basket of veg- deep-fried vegetables. And you know when you're on a jag for something, you know, you just got to have it. And so I go back and I sit down next to my wife and I'm sitting there and we're in the tunnel now coming out and we're getting off of Rockbridge Station. And about, uh, I don't know, five minutes from Rockbridge Station, two minutes from Rockbridge Station, I said, I don't want hamburgers anymore. I want to go to House of Curry's on college. I want Indian food tonight. And uh, my wife usually doesn't change her plans ever. Uh, she said, okay, let's get Indian food. So uh, we drove over to uh, House of Curry's on college, and we had a delicious Indian meal. And I went up to pay. Uh, you pay at the counter, and I'm throwing out my check. And I looked to my right, and there's this guy standing here. He's about yay high, curly hair. He's the same fucking guy the week before that I had been chest-to-chest spitting on in the middle of the intersection. But I wasn't sure because he, when you're not mad, you look different. <laughs> so so I, 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 look, I looked at him, I said, no, that can't be, that can't be that guy. And I, I started, I finished my thing, I looked up again, he was gone. And uh, I went outside and my uh, ex-wife was smoking cigarettes, smoking, smoking, smoking. <laughs> no resentments. Yeah. And uh, I, I got out there and I said, did you see a guy about yay high, curly hair, and an, his, with his Asian wife? And she's like, no, I didn't see anybody like that. And I'm like, ah, fuck. And then I was pissed again because, you know, I, God was, you know, doing this thing and he takes it away. So I said, shit. So I go back, go to our car, which is parked at the post office across the street. We get in it. We pull out onto college. We're getting ready to get onto uh, a Tunnel Road. And as we're approaching the intersection, out comes this fucking silver Mercedes SUV and cuts me off. <laughs> And I said, I said, uh, that's the fucking car. <laughs> the guy, and I, my, my wife knew what, what I'd done, and she goes, oh, a car just like it. I go, no, that's the guy. And she was driving, and he was in the passenger seat, and so I knew now I was, you know, I, so I, I followed him up to the road. She was driving really fast, and so I was, you know, going as fast as I can, and my ex-wife was getting really nervous. She's like, take it easy, man. I said, no, no, it's okay. Uh, I'm on a mission for God. <laughs> Which I was. So I followed them all the way to the uh, Albertsons, which is now Lucky, and uh, uh, they parked their car, and they stayed in their their chairs. They were talking to each other in the parking lot, and I parked on the street. I got out and started walking towards their SUV, and I realized as it was getting closer, uh, they might not be too happy to see me. Uh, they might still be pissed, because I, I left out a really bad note. So as I was walking towards them, I, I did this. I went, peace sign. <laughs> And then, I, and then I did I did a prayer sign. I don't pray like that. I did prayer, peace, prayer, peace. And I'm walking towards the car, and the guy's looking at me like, who's this crazy guy? And as I got closer and closer, 
the, the recognition dawned on them that I was that that fucking guy. And uh, when we when I when I reached this door, I just said, "Look, you know, uh, yeah, my father's an immigrant. I can't believe I said such awful things. I'd never in a million years." And I was just like spilling out, you know, just platitudes and love. And and he was saying, "Like, I'm so sorry. I was I treated you so poorly. I love you. You're my brother." And we're just I mean, we're like crying and hugging. But I see. I don't think that's the God part. And just in case you know, just to be clear, the God part is my appetite. I wanted Barney's, and it became Indian food. And if it, that hadn't happened, and I had no conscious control over that whatsoever. And since then, I have. I'm absolutely sure that uh, God exists, or higher power for me. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.